Hey, welcome to another episode of Going Deep with Aaron Watson. Hope you enjoyed our most recent episode with Calvin Wayman. Got a lot of great feedback there about the sales and entrepreneurial advice that he shared. A lot of great advice in today's episode where Jacob Zacks, the CEO and co-founder of Edify, came on to talk about building a music app for educating kids and getting them excited about the music creation process. He is passionate about bringing technology and music to the masses through mobile devices and has been really impressive in his execution so far. So please enjoy my interview with Jacob Zacks. You're listening to Going Deep with Aaron Watson. All right, so Jacob, thank you so much for coming on my podcast, man. I appreciate you coming on the line here. Right, thanks for having me, Aaron. Your app, MusiQuest, is a tool for teaching, I guess, people of all ages music, but it, it seems to be kind of marketed towards young kids, getting them interested in creating their own music but i'd love it if you could just kind of start things off for people with explaining in a little more detail how it works sure and that's definitely accurate i think the most important thing is that there's an opportunity to make music education and music creation more accessible to people around the world especially kids um using smartphones and tablets so instrument lessons are a great experience but they're also very expensive time-intensive, logistically heavy. There are a lot of barriers to entry for instrument lessons. And at the same time that that's true, we're all now buying these devices that act as a camera, that um, also act as music production hardware. Um, uh, pretty sophisticated. So to create software that any person can download for free to be able to start to make their own music and learn about music and make their own determination about if they want to go farther in that, is really, we think, a pretty thrilling opportunity and the one that we're dedicated to. MusicQuest is uh, our focus at the moment, and as you said, it's uh, actually for all ages. Certainly started with more of an orientation towards kids for a variety of business reasons. Still very focused on that, but also responding to sort of customer desire and, and also the people that are already using MusicQuest who, who do tend to be about half of whom are old, older than 13, 13 to about 40 or so. So that's our mission, the high-level mission, making music education more accessible, creative, and fun. And I can certainly say more about how we've attempted to do that, but um, the MusicQuest is the current embodiment of our work. Yeah, you uh, you started a company before Edify 09 line development that had kind of set the stage for what you're doing now with Edify and MusicQuest. And I'm curious, when I look across the landscape of these different digital education services, whether they're paid online courses or tutorials on YouTube, there's all these different ways that people can now learn with their laptop, with their computer, not necessarily having to go to a classroom or an institution to do so. But it also seems as though there's there's kind of a different language to that in terms of being something where you can naturally learn these skills, have it be easy and accessible at the same time. So I'd love if you could expand a little bit on the challenge of teaching music through a phone versus the experience of being maybe one-on-one -on -one or in a small group in-person lesson and some some of the things that you've kind of learned or unpacked along the way yeah well that is a great question and not a short answer so I'll, I'll try to chunk it and 
we can go from there. But a little bit of this comes from the backstory of that first company you mentioned, which had a totally the totally wrong corporate structure, bad accounting, didn't know anything about uh, entrepreneurship or, or, or business uh, at that point. But I started that with six of my best friends from Denver, five of whom I played ultimate frisbee with in high school. So that we wanted to just do a project together before we graduated. And the assumption was that we were all going to be going to different cities. And we thought, wouldn't it be cool if we made something together? And that was the origin of this. It wasn't focused on education, wasn't focused on kids. But my co-founder, Zach, who is a brilliant musician, basically said, I think I have a system that can help beginners create music, compose music that sounds good to them, that can basically support them in that initial creation process, where they're not going to have to make decisions about chord structure or time signature. They're not going to be overwhelmed by the complexity of music, but they're still going to be able to make meaningful creative decisions. Which instrument do I choose? Where do I place my notes? How does that sound? And that's where we started. The response of kids to that app that we did ultimately release in our senior year was totally unexpected and extremely enthusiastic. And to transition to the question of the difficulty of interactive education, again, a big question, but basically it, it, it's, it's a totally unsolved problem how to teach music to kids on smartphones and tablets. I actually think that we're doing pretty cool and <laughs> interesting work, but it doesn't mean that it's going to be the right solution either for the actual act of learning for kids or for the actual back for building a sustainable business. But I, I do have a strongly held belief that the future of these educational experiences is interactive. And Khan Academy, for all its brilliance, is a video lecture that now has limited elements of interactivity with quizzes, uh, you know, and, and sort of things on the side. But Khan as a teacher, despite being a terrific teacher, has no idea what you as a student are doing and has no direct interaction with you where you take an action and he responds or the experience is responsive um, to that. So that's the goal is to build something like that and, and especially musically to allow a kid to start to create a song or a beginner of any age to start to write a song and then to sort of dynamically provide feedback to teach them how to write a rock song, a pop song. You can see elements of music, this in Music Quest already, but we're still a long way away, and the problem is still very much unsolved, how to teach music on smartphones and tablets. And you, you mentioned taking some things out of the equation, uh, whether it's the key or the time signature, and removing that burden from the creation process. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I'm curious if there's a little bit more to unpack there in terms of I'm, I'm sure that that makes it more accessible and can get people started into a, a, an interest in music before having to get too complicated but is there a point where I don't know if you necessarily need to like hand them off to a music instructor but how do they develop beyond this initial touch point or is that is that the primary focus of understanding these different types of musics and maybe some other other subtleties and nuances that otherwise wouldn't be accessible if they didn't have those other skills right very insightful question again i'll try to give a high level summary because there's a lot to, there's a lot in that goes there's a lot to that question yeah basically we started with a simple environment our first app that didn't help beginners compose or create progressively more complex music that kept them in this safe environment. And what we've done since then for the last two years is try to 
build this adventure into music where you still start in that empowering initial point, which is very powerful. But as soon as you sort of make your first song, you have the opportunity to explore, to begin to unlock different instruments, learn how to create in different styles, to gain control over different types of parameters, whether that be tempo or uh, key or chord progression, as you said, so that basically the interface and the experience evolves with you as a learner. And you're never overwhelmed because you don't have a ton of options on the screen like you might have with a digital DAW, a high-end software program. So you don't know what all these options are for. So you're not overwhelmed by that, but you always have something new to do, something new to learn or, or, or go and, and explore. And this is something of an abstract conversation without having the app in hand because, the you know, the word create, compose, what does that really mean? How does that work on a smartphone? Well, it's you just kind of have to see it. But... One thing we distinct, definitively do not do is uh, teach a person how to play an instrument. And it's, some apps do try to do that. We basically think it's a false promise. And, and there's no question that a physical instructor is, for us, a necessary part of that. Um, and, and when a beginner wants to do that, our app is not the right place to do that. But what we do do is we take the other half of music, which really is not in the beginning education. There's the instrument you're the playing, and then there's the piece you're playing, which is currently sheet music or or represented in some other way. To give beginners the opportunity to create their own and engage with the high-level, what might, many would call music theory, music appreciation, arrangement, understanding, that's a powerful complementary experience to instrument lessons or a standalone experience. And that's what we're trying to do, not replace physical instructors or, or teach physical instruments. Gotcha. That's immensely clarifying. Thank you. I want to also talk a little bit about the business itself. Uh, you've got a small team that you've assembled and just anyone who's listening to these first uh, eight minutes or so will understand that this is a very complex problem and also requires that you call on kind of different area of expertise to be merged together. You have to have the understanding of music and music theory, understanding of education, how people learn, and the technical acumen to actually create the app that will do what you want it to do. So can you talk a little bit about how your team has come together, how you share those responsibilities in your pursuit of building this business? I can try for sure. And thank you. That, uh, that was a really nice summary of, of what's going into it. The easiest way to describe it is basically to break it down. My co-founder, Zach, is a brilliant musician, understands music theory, at a, a very deep level, majored in music at Wesleyan, worked um, at Carnegie Hall before coming back to join this project full-time. He's also a very rigorous analytical thinker and basically acts as our director of product in terms of understanding, creating the product roadmap, and managing and, and guiding the rest of our team in realizing that product, uh, that vision of the product. Although we're, we're doing a lot better job of listening to customers now. Reese is my other co-founder, also a Frisbee player, Carlton College got. And he is, we call him our CTO, and it's true. He's a very talented developer, but he's just a very talented person in general. Set up all of our data analytics infrastructure, now sort of leading that customer process that I just alluded to generally jack of all trades but certainly did a lot a lot of coding at the beginning um, to build the core foundation of the product and then for the most part uh, my job is to support Reese and Zach and their team in 
building this terrific experience because that's what's going to help us. That's what is going to be the foundation of our success as a business. And that means that I try to handle everything legal, financial, uh, accounting, raising money from investors, building our network outside of this office, and sort of in some ways being the gatekeeper to make sure that um, my co-founders and our team can keep their focus. So that's sort of the highest level overview. And I can certainly say more if you'd like. Yeah, uh, I think another important thing that uh, that you guys have accomplished that I think a lot of young entrepreneurs are maybe interested in or need to learn more about is the process of raising funds or being mm-hmm. the part of an incubator or an accelerator. You've done both of those things. You've raised grants from the National Science Foundation. You raised a round from angel investors and participated in the 2015 Techstars Boulder Accelerator class. That is that is a path that is right for some businesses and maybe not not necessarily the right call for others. Why take on or why solicit these different groups of funding? And what have you gotten in addition to capital from these different relationships? Awesome question, and I love the I love and affirm the note that this is not the it's not the only path. There are lots of ways to start a business without raising money from investors. And we even have preserved some level of flexibility um, if for our future in re- refusing to raise from sort of institutional venture capitalists yet. So I won't go into exactly why that is or what that means, but basically still um, having raised money from great people, still know that we might not, still wanting to keep our options open. So what has that path been like and what have we gotten out of it? Well, I mean, we really know shit. <laughs> we know nothing about it. Uh, we, 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 we have a core insight, which is very powerful. And we are learning very quickly. And we have learned very quickly over a long period of time. But when it comes to building a business and route to market and so many other aspects of that are really critical to success, we have no experience uh, and, and, and really no background. And Techstars especially is partially about the money, but really about the network of other companies that participate, alumni companies, mentors, investors, service providers that are all, that all care about Techstars companies. It's sort of like a grad school for a startup in that you get a great network and you get, and if you're lucky in many companies, uh, this is the, the goal. You get great mentors and hopefully you get great investors. And, you know, some of these people we talk to once every three months, Alex Rogopoulos is a good example here, who actually is the co uh, is the CEO of the company that made Guitar Hero and Rock Band. So Alex has invested in us and he's really busy and he doesn't know us particularly well. But we get to talk to him about once every couple months, and we try to do that selectively when we have a question that he could really potentially provide a lot of help with. And it's amazing to be able to reach him. And I do think that if you have your sights set on building something that's going to be used by a lot of people, that is a skate that is supposed to be a scalable business, that the advice expertise that and capital is is a critical con- component of that I, although I want do want to know and it's really we're saying this that we started without any of these things really and a lot of them are online it's not the same as having an in-person conversation but lectures articles everything with from the best people in the world who honestly aren't in Denver they're in Silicon Valley 
are online and you can access them for free. And it's there's just so many ways to educate yourself about this to see if it's right um, without having to do it first. Yeah. And another, I just want to reiterate that note of being a part of Techstars in particular, uh, that access to experts is only made possible because of the existing network that they've created over the past decade. Techstars is one of the, I guess you could say, older accelerator incubator programs and we've we've talked to a few others in the past, so that's it's really enlightening that it's not just about the capital uh, when you're making that type of decision. Was there was it hard to get into TechStars? Was it hard to raise this round of funding? I'm sure hard is kind of a, a subjective term, but the actual process, the work involved in making that happen, how much of that was your blood, sweat, and tears? How much of that was maybe the quality of the idea or the groundwork that you'd laid already with the work that you'd done? Yeah. So this is hard is definitely it's is always hard. Uh, I think no one it's, if it's easy, uh, it's rare and it's hard in different ways. But we're definitely in nearly three and a half categories that investors don't like. Mobile apps are very hard to make money off of and build sustainable business out of. That's an, probably an understatement. Music um, is difficult for investors in a lot of ways to make money out of. Kids, parents, people don't really know that much about that. There aren't many tech businesses that have been built successfully in that area. And then education becoming more attractive, but still really an unknown in a lot of ways and not yet producing like the type of returns that the type of investors we raise from would ideally like to see. So we actually applied. I mentioned our initial app. That app did relatively well in the store, no thanks to us, but basically passed, I think, 150,000 downloads in the middle of 2014. At that point, we were applying to Techstars programs around the country with a pretty strong vision of how this initial experience we'd built could grow into an educational service. We were finalists for a number of those programs, and we were rejected by all of them. So I think we were actually finalists for three or four different accelerators, including Imagine K-12 in California. We flew out to all of them, and we didn't get selected by any of them, which was both good and bad. On the one hand, they're very hard to get into, and so we had come quite close. On the other hand, we didn't get in, and we didn't have money, where we didn't know exactly how we were going to move forward. We ended up working out of my parents' house for sort of the next eight months. That's 2014 through 2015 and making a considerable amount of progress and demonstrating, I think, a lot of credibility, a lot of passion to the people that we'd met through the application process, Techstars mentors, Techstars execs. So we ultimately did decide to do Techstars in, to reapply the 2015, the Boulder program and the managing directors there were new and we loved them, love them then, love them now. Raising the round was similar in that we had our software and our vision for what it might become, I think, is very powerful and it's very attractive to many people. Um, our, our understanding of how we're going to make money is uh, not nearly as clear. And that's really the hurdle that we're trying to clear now. But uh, we demonstrated over the course of a long period of time that we were basically going to do this and take it super seriously and spend very little money and that was the found that I think that was at the core of what allowed us to raise our round in addition to um, what we'd actually built with that time. 
Yeah, and a really important takeaway for listeners there also is that consistency and resilience is something that investors are going to, anyone in general, but particularly investors, are going to appreciate, are going to look for in a company that they invest in. So definitely a sterling example of that. Um, yeah, one of the, can I hop in there for a second, Aaron? Sure, sure, sure. It's a great takeaway, and I want to add a takeaway which might be, which is take yourself seriously. Basically, <laughs> you might be wrong to take yourself seriously. And we certainly were, you know, in like in the confidence that we had or the resilience that we had, but in that we were naive and we still understand that better every day. But if you aren't really serious about what you're doing, if you aren't serious about the belief that you could do it, there's really no reason that an investor will put money. In. They're not going to be confident in you. And and so it's a it's about resilience, it's about consistency, and it's about the probably deluded you know belief that hey we can do this. We believe that this is a serious endeavor because that's also essential to get other people to put money, time, effort behind you. Yeah, and that's one of the one of the trickiest. I guess you could say art of of this whole endeavor of trying to be an entrepreneur, trying to start something that hasn't previously existed is. Anyone who's created anything that was new, that was theirs, had to have some degree of, be it delusion or overconfidence or ego or, or, or any of the number of terms that you could use to define that. Yep. So there's kind of this danger zone that you get into of, well, am I being crazy? Am I like taking this too seriously, but then simultaneously, that is part of what it takes to make it happen. So I totally agree with you there, and that definitely resonates with me. The last kind of question, I just want to go big picture here for a second, then we'll start wrapping things up. Uh, the company is called Edify, mm -hmm. and you've positioned this as an education company, not as a music company, which is an important distinction that um, at least tells me a little bit about where you see things going in the future. We have a similar company here in Pittsburgh called Duolingo that started as a translation company is now expanding into other types of education apps and services. Is that a similar model? Is that a, a company that you, to some degree, are emulating or learning from as you look to the future for what you're doing with Edify? Yeah, really admire Duolingo. It's an awesome company. If you want to learn a language, definitely check it out. Totally free. Um, with a great business model. <clears throat> Another example of a sort of comparable or an aspirational um, service that we look to is Minecraft, uh, actually, um, which isn't explicitly educational, but which puts the building blocks of sort of the 3D world in um, beginner's hands. And we'd like, like to do a similar thing for music. Great question. We are focused on, we will be focused on music for a long time. It is one of our absolute core passions and we don't expect it to be easy. Um, the, the, we know it's not easy, uh, but we do believe there's a chance to help hundreds of millions of people around the world make their own music, uh, and that's a that's a challenge to to, to 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 stay committed to for for hopefully as long as we can. Um, that said, if we are successful in doing that, we'd love to be um, we'd love to ultimately make a similar move to Duolingo in introducing other apps and services and that and that's really just a hypothetical right now but yeah it's it's cool to help people learn and music is a, our first passion our first focus and priority but if we'd love to you know it'd be cool to explore other options too if that became an option 
Awesome. Well, excited to see where things go and how the company continues to develop, Jacob. Uh, thank you so much for coming on today. If people want to learn more about MusicQuest, Edify, you, uh, where are the digital coordinates that we can point people towards? Yeah, I, I'm basically the website. So um, www.edify.co, not .com, but .co, or MusicQuest.com without, um, that's MusicQuest without a C. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn, also on Twitter, although not really tweeting about <laughs> Ultimate or company uh, or Edify, tweeting um, about interesting stuff, hopefully. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm also Jacob at Edify.co. Um, so you can email me and I'll definitely respond if there's something you want to talk about. Cool. Well, we'll be sure to link to that in the show notes at goingdeepwithaaron.com slash podcast. Please find the show notes for this and every episode of the show. But as we do, Jacob, at the end of every episode, I'd like to give you the mic one last time so that you can issue a actionable personal challenge for the audience. Well, thank you for that. And I think my challenge to you is to is to diversify the media sources that you're listening to or paying attention to basically uh, after this election, which I know was a shock to me and probably a shock to many listeners. Since then, I've, I've had the opportunity on Twitter to follow people that I wouldn't, that I wasn't following people that I don't necessarily like, but that are smart, that have integrity and that really believe what they believe. And I think that's an uncomfortable experience in a lot of ways, but I think it's really, really important because I think I, I know that I was only listening to people like me, and I think that's a bad thing for our country um, because I think there's – because it leads to polarization uh, and a lot of other things. And I think it's a bad thing personally because it leads you to have a serious blind spots. Um, and uh, so my challenge is whether it be Twitter or following somebody on Facebook or – signing up for a newsletter um, that, that might be different than your um, your sort of default perspective, give that a try uh, and see if um, we can build a little more empathy and understanding for the, uh, yeah, for the whole country. I love it. And I think that, uh, interestingly, in previous episodes of this show, um, some people who are in the finance realm have encouraged a, a similar challenge of a similar flavor, but they were really aimed at you know someone who maybe has a different personal finance philosophy or comes from a different school of economics. And that's kind of a micro example, but broadly, that's an excellent challenge for people to take on and really does change the way you see things. So I, I, I have taken that challenge in the past. I continue to challenge myself to do so and would hope every listener out there does so as well. Thank you so much for that, Jacob. And thank you so much for coming on Going Deep with Aaron Watson. Yeah, thank you, Aaron. It's been super fun and I appreciate the opportunity. Hey, thank you so much for tuning in. Please make sure you hit subscribe if you've not already done so. Thank you to my friend Joe Marmerstein for setting up this connection. If you have ideas for great guests for the show, please make sure you reach out to me on Twitter at AaronWatson59 or hit the contact form on the website goingdeepwithaaron.com. Our next episodes are going to be really exciting. One in particular, I'll be interviewing Robert Scoble, the technologist, futurist, and blogger. He has got a new podcast himself about augmented and virtual reality, and I was excited to get schooled on that by him. 
I encourage you to do so as well. So make sure you're subscribed and continuing to tune into Going Deep with Aaron Watson. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Connect with Aaron on Twitter and Instagram at AaronWatson59. All right, so that is uh, where I'm going to end it. I'm going to turn off the, the uh, I'm going to cut it there and play the outro music. But I've got a bonus question that we're going to tack on the end. This is yeah. going to come out left field, so I hope you're ready. Okay, ready. Give me like two or three minutes on Emmanuel Moutier. <laughs> oh, man. Um, I'm not overly optimistic, but I do think the potential, I, I but but I'm not giving up by any measure yet. Um He's dropped his turnovers significantly sort of in the last couple of weeks, which could just be a blip or noise, but he definitely has all the athletic gifts clearly. And his jumper's not like Justice Winslow broken in, in type. It, 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 it's got to be savable with a good shooting or it's got to be refinable with a good shooting coach. I'm not sure if that person, that coach is on the Nuggets and I'm not sure if the Nuggets want to really or should give Moutier the space to develop to sort of his full his full potential um whether whether he's that player on our roster or whether the the effort should be elsewhere but right now I'd say generally low like down on Moutier while acknowledging that I think he's like what 22 or he's younger than I am like the learning curve is insane in in the league especially for point guards and if he can get his turnovers under control and sort of work on the jump shot. It, clearly, he has a ton to offer. So that's my that's my that's my take. Nice. Yeah, I always I always like asking people about one or two of the interesting players on their roster, like for their team, because I feel like. I, I see it more in football, but in general, like people have the, you know, you kind of have like the outsider's perspective on this guy. That's like the reports basically, or you watched one game, but then you have the fan of that team and they're like, oh no, I can tell you what's really up with this guy and like how, how he really operates. It's always enlightening to have the perspective of, of a local fan. So thank you for that. Thank you.